everyone to sword sorcery and socialism a podcast about the politics and themes hiding in our genre fiction just like the last episode this is again about the wheel of time as always i'm darius and with me again i have my guests alex and roberto how's it going you two just fine it feels like it's been such a long time since we last spoke <laughs> i don't know about y'all but i went and did some bread baking in the meantime <laughs> so we're back again back at it again we know we had to do it to him because boy howdy did we have to talk about some gender and some and some gender roles in this world because robert jordan definitely made some choices about the way he wanted to do things and uh yeah why don't you start us off alex uh, I, I see the real reason you invited me on was to have the token girl talk about things. <laughs> uh, can I give a quick comment? Sure. At the, so at the time, Robert Jordan was probably a proto-feminist who was way ahead in his thinking. <laughs> you know, okay, let me start there. Okay, there we go. Let me start there. I will repeat what I've said previously. And, you know, I will put this disclaimer. My thoughts are my own thoughts. I am sharing them to the world. I am not making the statement that my thoughts are superior to other people's thoughts or that other people's thoughts are inferior to mine. I am putting (laughs) my opinions out there. This is not necessarily like how I'd apply to everything. This is my favorite disclaimer so far. And beyond that, if you have read The Wheel of Time or you start reading The Wheel of Time and you're like, wow, I cannot handle how this man writes women. That is okay. Your opinion is valid and you are welcome to like read the cliff notes or disregard it entirely. I will say if you pick fights with me on Twitter... (laughs) <laughs> then yes. Now we have like when you like thrown down the gauntlet and challenged, then sure. But otherwise, like no, I'm not. I'm not here to like. I, I, I say genuinely, I'm not here to fight people about these things. The man had some takes, and that's a great way to like that. I love starting all conversations on Wheel of Time gender with the man had some takes because like. It prepares people for this worst case scenario when it's really like you can tell you can tell sitting down and reading these books that Robert Jordan is probably a guy who dearly loved his wife, like just really liked women, like a real women appreciator of a guy, (laughs) real wife guy, real wife guy. But like he just could not understand women like (laughs) i feel like the most cis man to ever live you know like the the most controversial statement i can probably make is like robert jordan probably is like so far removed from i don't even know how to like i don't even know how to like expand on the idea beyond like Robert Jordan truly is the definition of super cis. 
There is not, <laughs> there is not one, one feminine thought in this man's head. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, you know, somebody, I've, I've, had, I've seen this happen in real time before, where somebody will be like, ah, Wheel of Time, gender, awful, terrible books. And people will be like, oh, wow, I got to go read this trash fire. And then they, like, get through it. And if they somehow stick around with the first 700 pages of Eye of the World, they yeah. get to the end of it. And they're like, well, where's this fucking trash file fire? I was promised drama. And what did I get? And I do feel like this is like my, my most milk toast of criticisms about the act of criticizing Wheel of Time a lot that ha- started happening around the time the show dropped was is just like people, I don't want to say blowing things out of proportion because that does feel like it trivializes some of the things. And I don't want to make the argument of, oh, it's not that bad, guys. But, like, it's, I do feel like it's the sort of thing where people get this notion worked up in their head almost from just, like, playing games of telephone. That you'll get one person who just really doesn't like it. And then five, quote, tweets later, you get this notion that, like, Robert Jordan was this woman-hating monster of a dude. And it's just like, no, the man was just not great at writing women. And you can tell, like, he starts to get better at it the further you get into the series. Like a lot of his writing we talked about before. Like, he he, he gets better at it the longer he's practicing. The truly hot take that I won't get into, because we're limiting our focus to the first three books, is there is an opinion that goes around that Brandon Sanderson cranked up the misogyny for the last three books when he mm. was writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I bring it up specifically so I can shut the door on it and say, congratulations, we only get to talk about the first three books. Oh, thank you for bringing that up and refusing to answer it. <laughs> okay, okay, Fantastic. Okay, can I say well, a few things, actually? <laughs> Oh sure! Oh no no no! I was it's just kind of like just to kind of top off on that. It's like yeah, Alex, question: Does this book, does this series pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> you know, I feel like this is if if passing the Bechdel test is a precision sharpshooting contest, Wheel of Time is like fucking just carpet bombing Dresden into the ground because you have fucking 1800 characters and it's impossible not to pass the Bechdel test. Oh no no. It has 1800 characters and 1700 of them are male. <laughs> and, of the, and, and of those of those of those hundred that are women, half of them are fucking rad. <laughs> so like Okay, so (laughs) I guess to get the immediate thing off the floor here, gender is baked into this world, and I think that is the first thing that Mm -hmm. throws off a quote-unquote modern audience, and I put modern in the most heavy of air quotes because, like, as I remind myself constantly, queers existed in 1989, 
and they, the queer culture did not come about after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Like, mm-hmm. and, but simultaneously, for our modern viewpoints on fantasy, and when I say modern, I'm not saying it in the sense of, ah, people in the past were so dumb and didn't know these things, but more so that we expect these things out of our fantasy today. We have very yeah. good fantasy works exploring much more queer themes and well, you know, really digging into gender. To to kind of add to that, I mean, the, Robert Jordan does add a slight queer theme, but like it's he skirts around it with very fluffy and pillowy talk because he calls them bedfellows yeah. <laughs> or pillow friends he calls them pillow friends okay. and like, so like okay. every time you see someone referenced as a pillow friend that is a that is a queer relationship going on okay so I, like, have to, um, so I have like, to fucking interject there I this is why I say I don't think Robert Jordan has ever had a feminine thought in his head because I just genuinely don't I I genuinely, genuinely don't think that when Robert Jordan wrote that, that like he could, I don't think he can conceptualize the idea of lesbian sex in his head. I don't (laughs) think like he actually is capable of formulating that. I think he just genuinely thinks that like women in relationships do nothing but cuddle each other, which, you know, valid, my dude, that's supposed to my relationship. What's a relationship? <laughs> Cuddling, clearly. Apparently. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, except it still has that very, like, because there's, like, I think there's, like, the one male pillow friend group, and that's about it. And then there's, like, all the ace to die are, like, oh, yeah, we're pillow, like, they were pillow friends when they were novices. But then sex doesn't exist in the Soviet Union once they're, you know, uh, in the, once, once they're actual... They <laughs> should die, and it's like, oh yeah, oh nothing get sex. So, so unless so you're green, that. unless you're green, then you get all the sex. But it's all the heterosex, though. <laughs> all the heterosex you can handle. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very much the uh, I, the green ace should die are very much the reverse um, Mormons, essentially, because <laughs> <laughs> they have a ton of guys for one ace should die. <laughs> But yes, like <laughs> gender baked into the world, baked into the magic system. Mm-hmm, and for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so like, sorry, to interject to, to like, you know, my bit as like brief explainer in this, when we reference in the first episode, the sort of like two sides of the true source, you've got the two ways to access your magic, which is sort of the male side and the feminine side. And, you know, the reason why, you know, Rand Atreides is special is because he just surpasses the need for male side or female side and goes to the true one. But like you said, this sort of duality besides good and evil, which we talked a lot about last episode is the other major duality is the duality of gender in this, in this story. I mean, and well, even to like add on to that, like the main symbol for like the Ace to die and the, like for like the for the Saiyan and Saidar is literally a black and white yin and yang symbol. So like the symbol for the true source is literally yin and yang, because like you have the dragon's tooth and then you have like the the tower's tear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like it, it literally does represent the yin and yang without the main center inside of it. 
Oh, and uh, just just before I forget, I would like to send a picture of the tower of the uh, what's the town's name of the tower? Uh, Tyran. Tyran, yeah. Oh no no no. Okay, so look at this picture and tell me what that looks like to you because this is where the Aes Sedai are actually at. This is where they're located. Uh huh. What is that supposed to look like to you? <laughs> you know, I don't know, officer. I just see an island. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much a vagina. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know what? At least we know Robert Jordan vaguely knew what one looked like. <laughs> As, but like, like to be fair, like this was pointed out to me by like a bunch of my friends. Is like, yeah. The Tarvalon is literally shaped like a woman's vagina. Like, with everything. BRB, <laughs> gonna go live on Vagina Island. Goodbye. Yep, exactly. But, this except, is that is, I, I am also a male, so, like, uh, this is just, like, my opinions, and I am probably being, like, overweight thinking this, but this is what, like, the official map is, and that is the first thought I had in my mind, which was, like, <laughs> that looks pretty, like, Genital. As 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 uh, as the as as is quoted from the Big Lebowski, it's powerfully vaginal. Uh, <laughs> Great movie. So, Alex, <laughs> help the men here, please do. I, I, I'm afraid I have to immediately peep pedantic and point out that it's a vulva, not a vagina. You know, internal. thank you, because like, you know, I just went I'm, for the full term because i'm sorry i've actually i actually have uh i've, I've never participated in any sexual activity <laughs> in my entire life so i wouldn't know i've been I too am busy. also a nerd so yeah i've been too busy <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i am hosting a, a, a like a sci-fi lit podcast so i don't know uh so <laughs> All right, Alex, tell me about this hard-coded male versus female and weird harems of women just agreeing and uh, actually be fair that part might not actually come until after these three books i don't remember it, it shows it starts it. showing up from like book one <laughs> uh so like the whole thing here and like the instigating cause of this world is yes you have the magic system which is divided into Sidon, which is the male half, and Sadar, which is the female half. Sorry, and... non-binary people can't be magic. It's simply impossible. Well, well, well. Non-binary people are just the dark friends who use the dark one's power, clearly. Yeah, well, okay. yeah. there is, like, a spoiler, but, like, I don't know their name, but there is a male or female who uses, like, the opposite. I forget who it is, but I know there is someone who uses, like, Sidon yes. or Sidar. So, okay... So, like, this has... Okay, so, like, telling on myself here. Uh, let me get, let me get for the synopsis of the power, and then I'll tell on myself. But, all right, thank all you. Right, there we right, go. Right, right. I feel like an important thing to immediately throw out there is you do have, you know, this very strict binary magic system. You know, j- joking about... Uh, j- joking about folks aside, like, you, in this world, you have a very strict binary people fall within that binary Mm -hmm. and jordan doesn't experiment with that very much he is very clear that he is not interested in pushing the boundaries of that 
that you can see in a few points that he does get a little bit interested in it. But like, as a whole, he is not... He is not interested in exploring the depths of of the of this magic system that he has created. And this is, you know, where I will say I love the magic system in Wheel of Time. Mm -hmm. I love how, you know, it is a weave-based magic system. So you have your your main elements. You have fire and earth and air, these elements. And you're, you're putting them together into different combinations to do different things. And I love tactile magic systems. I love the idea that, you know, throughout the books... It's constantly described that you can, you know, different magic users can see their half of the power being used. And so mm -hmm. you, it is very vividly described as these different multicolored weaves, and you can see them touching things and interacting with the world. And I love magic systems like that. I love magic systems that are visible and bright and very clearly magical. I, I also love me some good magic tech, but like, I don't like, you know, bland magic. I don't like these, you know, to pick on inheritance again. I don't like just shouting words and something happens. Yeah, we, okay, we have an in, we have this ongoing thing Ketho and I are doing where every time we read one of these more famous and foundational fantasy works, we find which part of it Christopher Paolini took for inheritance. And there's a we found a lot of them so far. Like, just going to throw that out there. We'll talk about those books eventually, but there's a lot of things where, like, you know, you read, like, Le Guin in Wizard of Earthsea, The Way Magic Works, by knowing things' true names. And, like, that's sort of, like, how the magic of, like, inheritance works is by well, saying, you know, the name and, like, well powers and stuff. Sorry, that was a side note, but it's a it's one of our fun ongoing gambits is, like, looking at a foundational work and being like, oh, Paulini read this. Well, that's also in the King Killer Chronicles, too. Which I well, like that's – Brand – so – so Brando, his whole like thing is the hardest, most codified magic systems you can possibly imagine. Like, you know what I mean? Like every magic system has very clear, defined, specific rules and laws that manage it. Like if you've read like Mistborn and like the, the what is it? The metal the, his magic that like you use in there, it's all very specifically codified. So that sort of does remind me, Alex, about, you know, the way how you're, you're describing the magic here in wheel of time, which is probably partly why they picked uh, Brando to finish the series. Cause yeah. he sort of writes that way. So we have this binary hard coded system that you enjoy, which is good. And it, it, it is fun that sort of separates the genders and stuff. So what does, uh, what does our boy Jordan do? with this and that is that is where like the the problem there i feel uh, and you know the most uncontroversial takes there is the thing that um part of this magic system is that women are better at weaving certain aspects women are better at healing with magic Men are bat better at blowing things up with magic. And, <laughs> and there's that, it's very hard coded in of like all these things the Aes Sedai excel at in comparison to male channelers are things that 
are very traditionally feminine, very yeah. traditionally uh, caretaking, mm-hmm. healing, promoting, versus men are generally uh, better at constructing things, blowing things apart, doing these more hard, masculine-coded things. And that gets played with. I do feel like that gets played with. Roberto is, is flagging me to stop. <laughs> I try to interject without interrupting you. Sorry. Um, I also wanted, like, uh, like even to add on top of that, like, because there's there's five subsections of like the side in side dar, which is air, water, earth, fire, and soul, essentially, where like men are more hard coded towards the earth and fire women more towards air and water, and then they both equally share the soul. So I, I can see, like, where you have, like, the, you can kind of see that, and, like, even in the show, like, Avatar? I was going to say, where's Aang Falls? Is, <laughs> is that is that Rand? Basically. Um, but, like, you can see, like, even, like, you know, women are better at healing, and air tends to be a lot more nonviolent, more nonviolent solution to things. It's like, what you can see in, also in Avatar, because, like, you know, they, you still have... The water and air tend to be like the more like peaceful ones, but like then you kind of go into like the men's side, which is earth and fire, which you know you use for construction, you use for just dis- you know destruction, and like you even like there's even like shown that like same with like the Witcher or in like Wheel of Time, if you access the fire magic thing as a woman, things are going to go bad, like because mm-hmm. like you could cut yourself off from the true source from like using like fire magic you know as a woman which is also a very gendered thing because like even if you like in the witcher if you use chaos magic and you draw your energy from fire it's too much to handle but like whereas the men can just do it pretty much naturally and just add on top of that like the the men's source is also tainted by the dark one so it's like, like men are inherently like drawing on tainted magic. Yeah, men are inherently drawing on tainted magic because the dark one tainted the men's source of magic, which is why the women are like the true magic users because they won't be influenced by the dark one. And if Alex wants to like add more on top of that, because I can't see if you're going to flag me down or not. No, uh, and that is, you know, as anyone who has seen the trailers for for the show... You know, the, the Amazon really loves to promote their stuff whenever you watch a show on there. Um, that is, you know, one of these big parts of the books, and especially the first three books, is, you know, Rand coming to terms of, oh, I, I think I'm magical, I have this ability, and Moraine being like, hey, I'm going to teach you, but also I'm going to keep an eye on you and possibly have a knife up against your throat the entire time because like one of the consequences of you know in this universe the male half being tainted by this great evil is all male channelers eventually go insane they lose their minds they they mm-hmm. are they succumb to this corruption and so moraine's kind of sitting there like yeah you're probably going to save the world and if you don't then i'm going to kill you before you can break it yeah so like that's also like so, like, once we start talking about the show, that's going to be one of my the biggest gripes I'm going to have with the show in general. Just to kind of, like, mention that. Because, like, not from, like, the gendered standpoint, but, like, but like how they handle it in the show is 
one of like my biggest gripes. Yeah. I think structurally, I think what we're going to do is we'll have our talk about gender. We'll have some like other final thoughts about like sort of themes. And I think we can say for the end of the episode, we can just have, I'll let you two sort of have your session about the adaption because I, I specifically can't have an opinion on it because I haven't seen it. I just have opinions about adaptions generally, which I'll have, to, we're going to do a whole episode about it at some point. Sounds great. <laughs> but yes, there is, I will say, so, you know, putting this initial thing out of, Hey, this is a very binary world. Yeah. I will say then there is with, the amount we do get to play with it, with the amount that Jordan does look at things, especially as you get later on in the work, I do feel Jordan becomes more self-aware of this sort of box he's written himself into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And while I never feel like he pushes against it too heavily, I do think you can see him at least starting to like fill up the edges of the box and figuring out what he can do with that system. I do find it also very interesting of like going into telling on myself and talking about what Roboto just pointed out at the beginning of this. The body, uh, Robert Jordan, perhaps accidentally, I don't know like how intentional it was on his part, but like, does kind of say trans rights at one point mm-hmm. in the sense of magic goes off of your soul, not your body. Okay. And it is mm-hmm. possible to have a body that is incongruent with your soul. And, you know, everyone has different opinions. Uh, there is no one, you know, way of viewing being trans or having a non-conforming gender identity. But, you know, for myself, speaking for myself as a heretical Christian, I do kind of gel with that idea more that, like, there is an aspect to me that is metaphysical, that is connected to my gender. I don't feel like my gender is entirely just my brain soup mm-hmm. because I don't like the idea that uh, an intrinsic part of myself can be just modified by brain soup. I think brain soup can make things worse or better, but like mm-hmm. it's not modifying that fundamental part. In that same way, Jordan does by working in the system, working in the system that he built, does explicitly have one of the Forsaken, um, fucking Bathamel. Bathamel is one of the Forsaken, and gets yeeted. Uh, he 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 dies a very ignoble death, and. Uh, to such the point that like so another part of this universe is that once you have pledged your soul to the dark one you can't escape via death the dark one has its grasp on you forever and so this this chief lackey uh, gets gets blown away and in death the dark one is like wow you were a real fuck up you didn't do anything right and here you are (laughs) You didn't even kill anyone as you went down. Like, what good are you? And so, like, decides to fuck with this dude. And so part of, you know, the Forsaken's deal is that they are 
people that pledged themselves to the Dark One back during the Great Age of Wonders, back when the last big battle was fought. And Bathamel had a big reputation back then of being this notorious womanizer. And so the Dark One is like, you know what, I'm going to fuck with you. And so reincarnates Bathamel in this super attractive woman's body and says, go out, do my bidding once more. And this becomes plot relevant more than just Jordan being like, huh, this is a neat idea. Because part of the magic system is you cannot see the other half's weaves. And specifically, female Aes Sedai cannot see male channelers weaving. As a result, this reincarnated Forsaken, who is now trans mask question mark i'm not sure how i would exactly categorize that but we're going with that it's very specific that he still identifies as a dude um he is now using male magic you know in the guise of a woman and Mm -hmm. this becomes a big plot point because he can go do channeling and be embedded in Aes Sedai and nobody is a wiser nobody can see that he is weaving Young Alex had some real complicated feelings about this. Oh, really? And and this is why, you know, I believe that unless a work of fiction is just downright heinous or otherwise just, like, derogatory, I believe even poorly executed works of fiction can have use and, you know, should not necessarily be shunned on the basis of being poorly executed. I think, you know, very obviously I do shun some works of fiction for being just straight up bad. Like there are, there is very much a way to just not be cool about these things. I feel like Robert Jordan, while not always while executing these things, did still explore things in a good willed enough way. But like young Alex was able to look at that and be like, huh, this gives me weird gender feelings that I ha- don't have the words for. I don't know how to describe this, but here's something in a book describing this idea of, oh, here's this person, and they still identify this way, but it's not congruent with their body. And how how does that work? And like, of course, back then, I didn't have words for these things. And so I... Well, they hadn't, they hadn't invented that yet, so... Hadn't you know. invented it yet. <laughs> and, and so... And I will say, you know, the flip side of this, and... So there's, like... Without turning this into the trans episode, there is a whole work of analysis in media about an analyzing how trans folks are presented in media and uh, analyzing how specifically trans women are depicted as predatory. That, you know, you have folks who are disguising themselves as women and preying on the, these, these helpless women folk as a result. I feel like, and this is definitely something that there are a variety of opinions on, but one thing that I do appreciate Jordan doing here is as far as I can remember, there is never a point 
where Jordan is has written a scene where Bathamel now adopting the name of Arangar mm-hmm. tempts a man, and you get some Ace Ventura scene where it's yeah. like, oh no, you're you're not a woman actually, which like. To be clear, this is also like a weird twist on things because this isn't that this this is a trans mask thing, but also trans femme coded because it's you you don't get this. Uh, I I have such a tangle of words for this because it's not you know it is this thing that's not being crafted with this in mind. I don't think Robert Jordan like again. I don't think the man thought that seriously about it. I think he was just like, oh, what if I do this? And this will create an interesting plot contrivance where I can have a Forsaken weaving around and nobody suspecting anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, 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 this is like a man who is, tra- who is stuck in a body that is not congruent with his experience, but you don't get that in literature like this so that's still playing on some of those trans feminine tropes while being a fundamentally trans mask experience and you get into this whole overwrapping and circularity nonsense i say nonsense but you know i say that in a jovial way it's something i yeah. rant about frequently anyone who follows my twitter knows I, I think these things very seriously um but with all that disclaimer wibbly limey timey nonsense out of the way there is that uh, I I hate to say to his credit he never did a heinous thing, but like to his credit, for the time, this was you know the very this was eighties nineties this was the peak of that very predatory trans experience being written into works and being displayed on film and other media. As far as I can remember, there's never a scene in which there's entrapment. There's never a scene in which it's like, ah, I've used my feminine wiles to trap you in this awkward situation. Mm -hmm. It's just, ah, I'm stuck in this body, but now I gotta go still serve my dark master and go figure out how to kill the protagonists. Well, according to the fan wiki, it it, it says uh, that Angra was was a little bit angry at first for being a woman, and then was just like, "Ah, never mind. This is cool too." And according to the wiki, uh, she's canonically bisexual, so good for him, her. Which I also want to put the wiki does literally uh, does put the pronouns as a him slash her for Melthamel Angrar. Yeah. Angar. And which I, I think, think what you think is interesting and a very progressive the Wheel of Time fan wiki. <laughs> yeah. And and I do think that like there is also a deeper conversation to be had there of like in the way Arangar is written, is this a example of gender fluidity, of gender queerness? Like I if if you gave me more time uh, to do a proper analysis, I could probably do a video essay on this and you know maybe get some youtube views um but i do well not like a perfect example of this i do think that erangar uh, bathamel does demonstrate 
Robert Jordan isn't using this as a crutch to say, ah, gender norms have been violated by this evildoer. It's well, just a thing that happens, yeah. not a thing that happens. And we have to end it to, to be disgusted or reviled by it's just like, yeah, this is a thing that happened. Yeah. And, and it's I, fine. I do appreciate the casualness of that, of, uh, of that being a, like, admittedly, I'm working off of some shaky memory here and rapidly trying to refresh myself with whatever resources I have. But like, if I remember correctly, Arangar is introduced in like a quick cutaway where like the Forsaken just have hangouts that they just sort of chill at when they're not off doing their evil deeds. Cause that's like the opening of book two is just a cutaway to like the forsaken, like yeah. chilling and chilling in the, the bro mm-hmm. cave, yeah. the evil bro is, cave. Yep. Uh, and, and God, I want an evil bro cave to hang out and plot uh-huh. in. No, 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 The best part is it's in a dream. It's, it's, well, it's in a dream world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to go to the dream world and hang out with the bros. That sounds fantastic. You get to sleep <laughs> and hang out. Like what's, what, what's not, what's the best. What's bad about that? <laughs> and if I remember correctly, like it's being written from a perspective of another Forsaken, and they're like, ah, Arangar, uh, it's, it's Baphomel, but the Dark One got angry, and this is uh, the this is you know what what has happened to them. And as I recall, that scene is just like, ha, that's kind of, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a good joke, Dark One, turning this womanizer. And then, like, <laughs> way to go on. say Way to go, Satan. Great jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can't believe this is the first time we pointed out the Dark One is literally called Satan. Shaitan. Yeah, yeah. It's Shaitan, yeah. Shaitan. Yeah, it's Shaitan, which is... Shaitan, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I look... Robert Jordan is a lot of things. I don't think subtle is necessarily one of them. I mean, that's just that's just fantasy in general. It's like what yeah. subtlety is there in fantasy? Like, and like even though, like just to kind of talk, go off of what Alex is saying, because like, yeah, like I don't know much about Arangar because you know this is just spoiler territory for me now. But yeah, I, this I, is I, definitely outside the bounds of the first three books. But I, it's important for us to cover. So. No, but exactly, and like I really appreciate the whole talk because it's like. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I Robert Jordan may have been a proto-feminist. And it's also like, but, and like, you know, I, I don't stand by that because it's more said in a joking manner, but it's also, he writes things, but like, he doesn't write them in a bad way. It's just more so, he's a product of his time, I'm going to say. And kind of like. Well, oh, no, so I was going to say, I think Alex kind of made the point that he's sort of writing from this place of almost like it comes out good because it's almost this kind of sort of simple innocence or ignorance to like the, the negative connotations of possible things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. Where he, he's just sort of like, I don't know. The dude got reincarnated as a lady. Why not? It's a plot point. You know what I mean? It, it, like there's yeah, no, it, it doesn't it, feel like there's a negative connotation to it because he didn't even con- con- consider that there could be. Exactly. And I feel like that's kind of like, for me, I feel like that's probably the best way to write things. It's like, no, it's just it's just a thing that happened. Instead of just like, oh, let's make a big deal about it. It's like the the fact that you're making a big deal out of it kind of takes away attention from the fact that this is happening to begin with. I don't know what Alex feels about this, but as a cisgendered male, like I don't, I probably have the wrong viewpoint on this, and I'm glad to learn more. Um, 
but it also feels to me like the, the fact that it's just a, a thing that happened naturally in the book and there's not a lot of attention put onto it kind of makes it a thing that's just, you know, the, the shaitan can do in the world and like kind of, it's the thing that happens in the world. And it's not something that's given a lot of attention because it's just a natural process. Suddenly a bunch of my friends are hurriedly trying to disappoint Shaitan for the gender swap. <laughs> and, and so there's, there's a thing that I will say that like, it's never touched on in the books mm-hmm. as far as yeah. I'm aware, but is makes sense in the context. And like, you know, definitely fucking 10 year old Alex had ideas back then, but like, <clears throat> There, and the way that the world is crafted, there does seem to be like this idea of you know everyone is getting reincarnated, everyone is getting put uh, mm-hmm. you know back into new bodies over and over through the ages, and there are examples of where that process gets messed up. There are examples of there is I forget their names, but there is this brother and sister pair that come up later in the books and they're these legendary hunters and a big thing that happens is one of them gets stuck uh, in the reincarnation cycle and uh, points out how bad she feels because her brother is going to now be reincarnated because they were just chilling out in purgatory dreamland world and her brother is going to go get reincarnated and never have her around. And mm-hmm. is just going to spend his life being like, why do I feel so empty and lost? Because now this legendary pair will, won't be because that, her... Bridget? Maybe? I think, I, I think they're a couple, not a brother-sister. Okay. Uh, I, I might be getting oh. wires crossed here. I don't know. There's a lot of them. So yeah, there's a lot of them. There's, there's 1,800 characters. Yeah. But the point point there being, you know, they're supposed to be together and they are not. And this is an example of where reincarnation gets messed up. And I do feel like if there was ever a possibility of like expanding and something, you know, to briefly, you know, do a hey Amazon, if you want to explore gender politics. You know, hint, hint, I have some complaints later on about how Amazon did gender politics. Uh, well, so before we before we get to those, I want to, if you don't mind, I'd like to take one more quick detour about something that obviously caught my eye. I made a joke right before we started recording. Let's talk about Rand's semi-consensual harem. Oh, it is fully I, consensual, I'm, though. Like, I, I, I'm well, not going to ignore that. I'm just quickly saying of... You know, Amazon. If you want to do something like this, give us an Isa. Give us trans Isa die. Like, just have it next time, next season. Just have a casual. Oh yeah, that 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 we we figured out this person was trans because she channels fucking Sidar. That'd be a pretty dope way. way. That'd be a pretty dope way to like you know have that like sort of discovered. You start doing magic, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, this is the wrong gender magic. Fuck. So <laughs> I want to do one, one more weird sort of gender role thing I want to talk about is the fact that Rand is just so apparently so badass as the Dragon Reborn that he has like just uh, 
at least three women. It is exactly three. Three just agreeing that they can all be his women all at the same time. I mean, like, which, like, on the one hand, you're like, yeah, sure, be polygamist. That's dope. Do your thing. But like, it's also not entirely as accepted by all the, some of the women as by other ones. And like, I guess I didn't get into much. Like, how does Rand feel about it? Where he's just like, okay, let me yeah, just do so the thing, fam. I I can give my little spiel on that, and then I guess Alex can just kind of take off from there. But like, it's it's weird because you have these three characters. Because like, Min is the one. She shows up in the first book, and she's the one who can foretell that like he's going to have three people, like three love interests in his life, and she can tell that she is one of them. So, but like she's kind of resigned to the fact that she can tell prophesies into the future through seeing people's auras, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, this is just a fact that I'm going to have to deal with, even though I don't want to." My aura tells me I have to be your fuck buddy. No, but she actually legitimately falls in love with him. Like, it's like one of those things is like she just falls in love with him and she can't control that for some reason. And then you have um, Elaine, who's a literal princess to a kingdom. So, you know, backwater Rand gets, you know, has a princess fall in love with him on first sight after he literally falls down into her palace grounds. And. As you do. As you do. Um, And then she's like, after, you know, it's it's happened to me once or twice, but. Exactly. Uh, but like she falls in love with him, and then um you have a third character who shows up in the next few books, who I'm not gonna get into, but she's a Nail, which is like the your it's essentially they that's your the Fremen of the Wheel of Time. And she's one of the Fremen who's also can use who can also use um the true source. So, like, you basically have two people who can use a true source plus men who can prophesize into the future. And they and all take, like, different in the process. And they can all, like, take into, they'll take like, different roles in his life because men becomes more like his confidant because you have two superpowered women who can kind of just go off. Like, you have one who's a princess who's really good at, like, creating, like, being an alchemist, essentially, or an artificer. And then you have, like, battle warrior spell sword lady as well who's a fremen who can use magic and she's a fremen so she's a badass fighter so like and 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 your third one is like your prophetess slash counselor prophetess slash counselor she's kind of there to help him throughout his whole process of becoming crazy and all that and then like elaine is essentially like the person he's like going to get married to and then like the iel have a culture where they're like yeah, women can marry, multiple women can marry the exact same man. And it's like, because you, you still have like a very male-centric poly, polygamy, polygamic culture, but the women have to agree to it beforehand. But like, and like say, and the women have to ask the other woman for permission to marry that man as well. And then they become like sisters, essentially. So they're like somewhat less misogynist Mormons. Yeah, they're some they're, like, they're, they're like less old, misogynistic old, Mormons. Old school Mormons, let me be clear. Old not school Mormons, Mormon, yeah. Not the current Mormon church, according but, to their policy. Yes. Yeah, so like essentially it's like the women have to be able have to agree to the to the men to being with that man. But it's a very open culture, like sexually. They can just like, yeah, I want to have sex with that guy. They go and have sex with the guy, then they leave. So it's a very like 
woman control kind of like what happens in the bed essentially and it's like very matriarchal society because you have like these wise women who are essentially in charge of everything and you also see like there's a lot of like women in control you have the uh the queen of andor who's essentially the ruling she's their queen regent and then you have like the the shaddai and you have the wise women or nynaeve in like and the women's council in um the Two rivers? Three rivers? Two rivers. Two rivers, yeah. So you have, like, a lot of these, like, women sent was matriarchal societies, but, like, back to the topic on hand before I get into a tangent, is essentially you have, like, these three women who fill different roles for Rand, because Min is essentially your counselor. Uh, The Aiel lady, Evienda, is essentially his... She's essentially his bodyguard for a while, (laughs) <laughs> and then and then Elaine's essentially and like but she's always like I'm keeping you safe for Elaine and so Elaine's essentially the person who's going to be his true wife and then you uh-huh. he, so basically he has someone he's going to get married to and then two mistresses <laughs> but they all uh-huh. but they all like have this like semi-consensual thing because I'm going back to the whole predestiny like predestined thing from the last episode is like this is essentially meant to happen no matter what. This is going tell to it, happen. Tell, it, it's t- referenced it. multiple times throughout his dreams and through prophecies. It's like, this is going to happen whether Rand likes it or not. Just telling my girlfriend I'm predestined <laughs> to have multiple girlfriends. Yeah, let's see how that goes for look, you, dear Darius. Hey, look, I got, look, look we, we got to be poly. My, I had a dream that says so. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I will, I will say, I can chime in on this perspective for being semi-poly myself, question mark. There's, uh, these things get uh, confusing sometimes, like, describe. Oh, sure. But, you know, the, the most basic thing there being, I'm married to my wife, who also has two girlfriends. So uh-huh. there, there is some, you know, constellation going on there. So your wife is Rand. <laughs> yes. I am part of my wife's harem. Nice. All right. So which role do you fulfill? Are you the counselor, the bodyguard, or the queen? I feel like I, I am the bodyguard in this instance. All right. Fair enough. I just, sorry, I just wanted to clear that up. It's not figuring, it's not looking at a, a queer relationship and trying to figure out who the man and who the woman is. It's looking at a queer relationship, figuring out who's the bodyguard, who's the counselor, who's the queen. Exactly. <laughs> See, like, this is why Rand has such a great relationship with these three women. It's like, Oh my gosh, he has three roles fulfilled in his life that he absolutely needs. I'm joking, by the way, for any other listeners. Um, I have a very joking manner when it comes to things, and you can tell look, when I'm being serious and I'm being joking. Look, and then all we know is Robert Jordan is telling us that every man is essentially so inept that he needs three separate women to take care of him at any given time. Well, that's actually a theme that shows up a lot in the books. Is like The women say like men can't do anything without women helping them throughout this series, which which it also goes back to the thing we discussed with Robert Jordan basically being like so in awe of his wife that essentially like, yeah, I can't do anything without you. So he has this whole thing where it's like, I need, you know, women, men need women in their lives to be able to do anything, essentially. So the title of this episode is going to be Robert Jordan, trans ally, wife guy. <laughs> yep. Trans ally and wife guy. <laughs> yep, I, I like that. I like that. That's a great episode title right there. Trans ally and, wi- and uh, an ultimate wife guy. No, I, I do feel like the depiction of polygamy in this book and 
before anyone asks me, yes, polygamy and polyamory are adjacent but different concepts. In this book, it's polygamy because he is marrying them. Uh, mm -hmm. But they're... <sighs> I do feel like Robert Jordan couldn't make up his mind on what he was wanting to do. And this does, of course, get past the first three books and goes further into the series. But, like, I just... I don't think Robert Jordan knew what he wanted to do beyond... I think he was just, like, sitting in his chair one day, smoking his pipe, and he was like, I want... I want Rand to have a harem. And then he just wrote <laughs> from there... And I he's do, like, how do I make this work? And I do, it does genuinely feel like he's just writing the text around. I want my main male protagonist to have multiple girlfriends. I, I mean, like, honestly, I think Robert Jordan was trying to write Ran as a Japanese RPG character. He's a, you, JR, you, he's, he's a JRPG. JRPG. Yeah. If, you, if you played Persona. You know, just date all of them and see how it goes, you know? Uh, Rand truly is the classic harem anime protagonist. Exactly. <laughs> he is. It's like, he's a powerful guy who just ends up dating everyone in his thing. It's like, it's like, oh, it's like an anime visual novel. Wait, it's like, I sorry. Robert Jordan, trans ally, wife guy, weeb. <laughs> okay, but I'm, I'm genuinely trying to think. There is a romantic interest that Rand pushes away that absolutely feel fills the Yandere slot for. Okay. So that's when he's at, uh, at uh, tear or tear. Yeah. And like, she like tries to like seduce him, And then he's like, no, no uses literally uses magic to like assault her and like to push her away. <laughs> Cause it's like, no, I'm too dangerous and all that. Um, which is a horrible <laughs> situation, but she leaves him alone after that. And then she goes straight after his friend, who's like also seeing this other woman who like is essentially like on his ass all the time. So like, um, Yo, uh, we we didn't even get into Rand's like the other three parts of Rand's like male hero tripod, which it which yeah. like Perrin oh, is literally your you know if Rand is your spell sword, Perrin is your like barbarian, and like. And Matt is your rogue. <laughs> yeah, Matt's the rogue. Perrin's like the Beastmaster Barbarian. Like, they fulfilled roles. We didn't even talk about them, but that's because, number one, I couldn't remember everything about them because <laughs> my brain's too small for all those details. They're not that important and to the fourth book, though. That's the issue. Uh, that That is kind of the problem of, like... Uh, and, you know, I, I will quickly put in, for, for the Wheel of Time fans here, but my five-second synopsis, Perrin... Wolf boy, Matrim, fucking nerd. Like, yeah. And I will say, like, Matrim is probably my favorite, one, one of my favorite characters out of the whole books. And, you know. Is he the one that's just, like, lucky? Yes. yes. His entire his entire skill set is luck. And luck and has all the knowledge of all the generals before him. And. Okay. I don't think you can talk about Ram's harem and the gender politics of that. Without talking about Matrim's relationship, oh, okay. So uh, wait, what's the IO lady? Uh, all right, so yeah, cover that for me quick, because again, I don't can't remember all of this. So you haven't you haven't gotten into this yet, because this is something that goes further into the series. Okay, but, uh, this is Matt we're talking about. Yes, yep. Matt. So, um, like, 
I will say, you know, to quickly say Rand's relationships, not perfectly executed, but also they're all mostly consensual. They all like at at later on in the series, the free the the free women get together and like, hey, if we're all going to marry this guy, we have to all get on the same page. And they like basically drag Rand in by the collar <laughs> after having this this meeting. And like, okay, listen here, fuck boy. This is how <laughs> things are gonna work. And like it it's it I, I do feel like that's handled better in the sense of like they show much a, a great amount of agency there and are you know very self-determined in the sense of they are setting rules of conduct, they are having that conversation of how we're going to make this multifaceted relationship work. Then we okay. get to Matt. Oh god. And Matt <coughs> Matt falls for slash is fallen for by this Shin-chan prince, the empress in disguise. So like the empress of this invading power comes over and disguises herself and goes out and does the whole, I will be amongst the commoners thing. And in a land that she's invading. Yes. And meets Matt and, this relationship is probably one of the most uncomfortable in the books for me because I can speculate on what Robert Jordan was trying to do here, but like, I do feel like it's one of those things where because the execution was not good enough, it diminishes the end result. So like, there is this weird power dynamic between the two of them. And so on one hand, you have Matt, who is one lucky. That is his power, is he is lucky. He, as long as it's random, everything works out so long as it's random. But like the rules of randomness are bent several times. Like things that are not honestly random become random because Robert Jordan wanted them to be, and vice versa. So on one hand, you have this dude whose power is he's lucky and he's a tavern. So the wheel is bending the weave around him. On the other hand, you have this empress who is the empress of this invading power who like, again, this invading power is a slaving imperial power that is laying waste to nations and enslaving any women who can channel and killing any men who can and generally just not being very nice. I don't think it's a controversial statement to say the Shin-Chan Empire, not great. Um, So you get this this super weird thing of like, as their relationship progresses, and you know, of course he finds out that she's Empress and laments his bad fortune that he is now tied to the Empress of this invading power. Um, It just goes back and forth on like, the fact that she can just have him killed at any moment. And the fact that, like, the wheel won't let her because it's actively fighting back against it and ultimately resolves itself by Matt basically making her swear to always follow his orders and to let him be Uh, the man in the relationship. And uh this is, I hate this for multiple reasons. One, you know, the obvious thing of, Okay, if we're going to have a relationship, honey, you have to do everything I ever tell you. Wait, so does he, become, does he become an, <clears throat> the emperor? 
Yes, by virtue of marriage, he becomes the emperor of the Shinchan Empire. <laughs> Literally, like this guy becomes like one of the most powerful people in the land. Like I'm not even that far yet, so I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and so, but so you know, I hate it for the obvious reasons of this is a very misogynistic stereotype and template, and it's not good. But also, this just eviscerates Matt's character. Like, this is not a decision that is in character for Matt. Nothing no, Matt you wants see, to get away from it. Nothing you see of Matt would make you go, yeah, this is the sort of guy who would use his ability to bend space and time around him to force compliance from a lover. Like, that's not how Matt is. Matt is your lovable rogue who does pranks and, like, gets himself in trouble. The dude is not a, yep, I'm going to make you follow my orders and also I'm going to assume control of this empire now. Which, like, he does... It's... I do feel like this is something where Jordan wrote himself into a wall because there's also the thing of this empire was started by this ancient general... Uh, this ancient king who conquered all of Randland and then was like, I conquered everything here. I'm going to go across the ocean and conquer more. Very much an Alexander the Great sort of situation of, I've conquered mm-hmm. everything. I must go further. So Matt is not strictly the reincarnation, I don't think. Like, nope, it's still Rand. Um, <laughs> Arthur Hawking was, was still the dragon. Yeah. Uh, but like Matt is connected to Arthur Hawking in this very particular way and assumes the role of Arthur Hawking, basically. And I feel like Jordan just wrote himself into a corner where it's like, okay, I want Matt to become this thing. How do I make Matt become this thing? Oh, I'm going to have him marry the Shin Chan princess of Empress. And then like, he gets to the point where he's like, oh, Matt's entire character would be I'm going to run away as soon as I can. I'm going to like have a really good night of sex. And then as she's sleeping soundly, I'm going to jump out the window and run away. Like that's Matt's entire character. And I feel like Jordan was just like, well, I want him to become emperor. So I'm going to just fucking write this in where Matt suddenly becomes this controlling asshole of a guy. And so like, if people want to complain about relationships in the wheel of time, it's Matt, this one that yeah. should be complaining about. Like, yeah, if, if you're going to, there are valid criticisms of Rand's little po- polygamous harem, but like, again, the women of it get together, they hash it out. They like, okay. One of the things in polyamory circles is that if you have multiple partners in a constellation, everyone needs to get together at some point and set, respective boundaries and say this is what i'm comfortable with this is what i'm not comfortable with these are things that you know how are we going to split up time you know what are we going to do to make sure everyone's happy that happens like not in as in depth of a way as you might see in other works of fiction or real life but like that happens with with rand's wives coming together and being like hey before we you know make this official we need to have this discussion and, you know, props to Jordan for being like, yeah, you should have communication in a relationship. 
What? Which is also kind of grim dark in a certain way because he was doing a lot of communicating with his wife at the time because he was dying. Yeah, he was dying. And she had to she had to be able to organize and maintain all of his notes and recordings to hand them over to Brando. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Communication and relationship though. Is that a thing? Is that what makes it work? I mean I've never tried, so who knows? (laughs) Um, but jokes aside, yeah, I I now that I've heard about that, like I like what Rand shows, like the only relationship I've seen, not with Rand, with Matrim. Or Matt. Um, the only relationship I've seen Madden was with the IEO lady, which is also kind of like this whole power thing, because it's kind of like she can also kill him at any time, or he's kind of scared that she will kill him. Um, and especially because she's just kind of like, wait, yeah, she does try to kill him, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I will admit. Okay, so like for for people who have made it this far and haven't read the books. For some reason, you're where you're listening to spoilers, which I I understand. I do that too. If you've made it this far and you're like, I'm curious about these books. An infamous thing about Wheel of Time is that you know you've got 14 books in the main series plus prologue. Um, yeah, and about the middle third, everyone in the community agrees. The middle third is just a fucking slog. And even as a child, I was like, dear God, this is so much. (laughs) Robert Jordan spends three whole books just futzing around in the desert, doing nothing. And you're just like, why? Why has he done this? Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. And unfortunately, that's also like during the Aeoli arc. So like, which is like the best arc? <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of genuinely cool things that happen in the IU arc, and there's a lot of genuinely good character development that goes on, and it's just interspersed in this mind-numbing, just wreck uh, of a slog that is these free books, and everyone disagrees on which free it is, but everyone agrees it's in the middle, and that is what you have to prepare yourself for at reading this series is that you're going to get to the middle and it's going to be like, oh, dear God, this is so much. Why? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> and like, I promise it gets better. It, I Thank you for promising that. Uh, so I'm getting to the middle now. Um, but I also do want to like, you know, we have, we have the, you know, Rand's polygamic relationship. We have Matt's super hella toxic relationship. But like the relationship, like that's actually kind of nice is Perrin's relationship with Fela. Oh, yeah. I love parents' relationship. Oh, no, parents' relationship with Fela is like literally like the clock. I feel like Perrin is supposed to be a stand-in for Robert Jordan. Yeah, Perrin is just wife. a wife guy. Perrin is just a wife guy. Yeah, no. he's the wife guy of the book, and like she, this woman literally is like, I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but Fela is one of my favorite characters, just because Perrin is just so indecisive and doesn't know what he wants to do that he needs someone like Fela to kind of put him on the right track, or else he's going to get kind of like spun around by all the ongoings and all the people because he's kind of like i don't want to do this i want to be a blacksmith and he's and Fela's like you can be more than a blacksmith you should do this thing instead and i don't know she's just like she's a mean character she's your yandere character basically but like she's like such a like supportive character who's like she's there for him and it's like 
it's one of those things that's like with all the other characters, you don't really see that. It's kind of like they all have their own goals and initiative, but it's like it's also very like she's there to be, you know, she falls in love with him, but she has her own goals and shit. And but like she falls in love with him. It's like, yep, if you want to be with me, you gotta marry me because I don't want to see you with any other woman. But it's very much a very conservative look on like Perrin is very much the he's the wife guy and he finds a person who who wants to marry him and she marries him and that becomes like the marriage, but it's a very not, she's very much in control of the relationship at that regard. And like Perrin just kind of does what he does sometimes because he's a Taveran, but like she's, she's in control of him because he's very indecisive. Well, at least we have one good, one nice wife guy in the series. That's good to have of the tripod of, of dudes. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a really nice guy, but you know, it's All also right, like, okay. he's very indecisive. <laughs> hey, you know what? Fine. So, unless we have any other final thoughts, uh, I think that's a good discussion on uh, uh, just a, a few of the things oh God, that are going so much, on. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if we kept picking other things, we could be going on forever. You know what? Maybe in a little while we'll come back and just you know cover another topic, or you know what I mean, like sort of another uh, you know, aspect. <laughs> yeah, another aspect of what's go- of what's going on. But I think we I promised we would reserve a little time here at the end for you two, my 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 dearly beloved guests, to talk about the show. Oh God! Okay. So first, so the I, wheel of, I, I the wheel of, <laughs> So the wheel of time obviously has been adapted into a show by Amazon. And I only am aware of it in passing because people on the internet talk about it because I'm going to be honest with all, all of you. I don't almost ever watch things. Uh, so I, I haven't watched any of it. I don't know what's going on. And I haven't read enough of, I hadn't read the books until now. So I wouldn't have had opinions about the adaptions. I have opinions about adaptions as a thing, but I'm going to save those for later. For now, I'm going to let my guests have a little bit of time here to talk about these shows. Uh, the show. Okay. Cut off Roberto to say, look at how they massacred my boy Perrin. I know, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So I, so my biggest gripe with the show was honestly with the pacing and like how they did like the politics of the Ace to Die. Because like... We didn't get to cover this in this series, which I would like to cover it later on because the Ace to Die take a lot. There's a there's things that happen later on in the series that like really affect the politics of the Ace to Die, but like they they made the Ace to Die very two dimensional in the show, and it's very much like they're very secretive. They like they use words to kind of mask what they're doing, and in the show, it very much felt like they were just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this thing, and everyone's gonna know about it. The way they kind of like did like the whole Dragon Reborn itself, the fact that it could be like, which, you know, it's kind of like, it's cool it could be a man or a woman, but like the whole point is that the Dragon Reborn is meant to take the, like the the male half of the true source, the tainted half, because it's basically, that's how the Shaitan gets to them. But it's also like, it kind of removes like the whole like fear of, like the whole power of the Ace to die, because it could just, the Dragon Reborn could be one of them. And like, it, for me, it was just kind of like one of those things. Like, it just removes like the whole power they should I have, just because the it could they could be the dragon reborn, or it could be a man, and no one really knows who it could be. And it just removes that whole like fear of we gotta take we gotta wipe out all the men who can use the true 
the true power because we, you know, they could be the dragon reborn. We don't want that to happen. We don't want the breaking of the world. And that just kind of removes the fear of like the end time. Cause it could just be a man or a woman. So they kind of, the whole point of the red Aja, it's just kind of like removed essentially. I know you have thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. Go, go off queen. Go off. Like, I don't even know where to start with that because, okay. So like to put it immediately out there before anyone goes, you know, making assumptions. I liked the show. It was, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was a good show, but if I turn my brain off and I'm like, Oh, look, Amazon has made a fantasy series called wheel of time. I'm going to go watch this. Mm -hmm. If I remove my knowledge of the books, I can say, yeah, the show wasn't anything spectacular. The CGI kind of sucked in some points, but you can very obviously tell like the show fell victim to COVID because it was being shot in the middle of it. And so Mm -hmm. like, you had shots beforehand and shots after that you can very clearly see like the end climatic battle of season one, which like has received a lot of criticism. I've given it a lot of criticism for still story aspects, but one of the reasons it looks so weird is because you can tell everyone on set is in a big open space, standing six feet apart from each other. Oh, okay. The reason it looks so weird is because they're following COVID protocols because they had to shoot that scene during COVID. I say during COVID, but now COVID is going to be with us forever, apparently. Yeah. Um, I also no, do didn't, you, add, didn't, you, didn't but, you hear COVID's over now? It's fine. Don't worry about it. I, I also <laughs> do want to add that the main, the, the actor for Matrim did leave the show like, mm-hmm. a, like three fourths of the way through filming. So like they lost, like that's why like in one of the episodes, Matrim just kind of like leaves, stays behind yeah. instead of, instead of joining the main group. Because, like, the actor just left. So they had to put in a, a stand-in for him instead. Yeah. No. That that also hurt the show and caused some weird character development there. I guess, you know, kind of transitioning into the show from gender politics, you know, touching more on what you've already said about, you know, how this affects the Aes Sedai. Amazon did do that really big campaign push of who is the Dragon Reborn. And... I understand why they did it. I understand why they chose to push that angle because they want this initial mystery. And you can very, very clearly tell that one of the things that is coming up here is there is the prequel book to the series, New Spring. And New Spring is different from the rest of the books in that it is falling mostly from Rain's perspective. So for folks, you know, might not be as familiar with the books or listening in, Rain is this Aes Sedai who belongs to a group of Aes Sedai whose job it essentially is, is to find people to do conspiracies. They are the conspiracy Aja. The The blue Aja. Yes. (laughs) And... So her her whole thing is one of the uh, Aes Sedai who can do prophecies, you know, has this moment 20 years ago and is like, oh God, the dragon reborn. The dragon is born again. 
dragon is born atop the dragon mount. And so the blues get together and they're like, okay, Moraine, you're going to go hunt the dragon. You're going to go find where the dragon is and raise him and teach him and do these things before, you know, the dark one can get a hold of whatever. This, they, they take this perspective of Moraine being the main character and move it into Eye of the World more, which some of Eye of the World is written from Moraine's perspective. So that's not like, as far as adaptations go, I'm not going to fault them for being like, here's making Moraine the protagonist. Because honestly, in Eye of the World, the bullies, while they are the centerpiece don't do like a whole lot of main character yeah, things. I, I, yeah, and I wasn't upset with that. Yeah. So yeah, Moraine being the main character is okay. The it's problem, not a bad thing. I enjoyed it. Yeah. The problem there, and, and the problem of this doing this mystery side, is that they're expanding the mystery, as you said, in a way that negates the the world building because Moraine, you know, is very much like, Hey, you free boys, you're all Tavern, and any of you could be the dragon. They, for some reason, and I have read interviews of the film, of the directors and producers of the show. And to be clear, I don't think they're bad people for doing this. We sometimes have this tendency to be like, ah, you wrote a bad, th- you, you didn't do a plot point correctly. So you're bad. No, that only applies to the people that ran game of Thrones. Yes. Yes. Uh, they are, they were actively bad people, but besides that, I mean, they wanted to go fuck off and write their Confederate fucking mini series. So yeah. Uh, but no, like they, the, the, the writers, and directors of the show did kind of touch on why they did that and were like, oh, well, you know, we want to make it, you know, more, you know, we want to bring things up to the times and we want to, you know, expand the mystery there. I do think the mystery side was not a good pick for this because you can't change who the Dragon Reborn is in this series. Like, if they had... Ah, fucking this round of standing ovation for how, if they could have pulled that off. If you could change this 14-book series that contains four Bibles worth of words and take Rand out as the main character and put Nanive in as the main character, (laughs) like, that would be the most impressive work of fan fiction I've ever seen. Like, that would go down in the halls of whatever that big fan fiction aggregate site is that I can't remember right now. Not AO3. Uh, is it, what, is it uh, Wattpad? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But actually, speaking of Nynaeve, I, I do have a joke for you that I want oh, to no. say. Uh-oh. Oh, Nynaeve perished in a braid-pulling accident. <laughs> and, okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about Nynaeve, okay? Let's talk oh, about God. fucking... How they did uh, our girl Nynaeve. Okay, you know what? Things. I think they did Nynaeve really well because she annoyed me as much as she did in the books, and I think that was a perfect portrayal. <laughs> <laughs> I my problem with the adaptation fundamentally, 
Uh, and this does, you know, everything ties together. But, so first of all, I don't, I think that they took Wheel of Time and of the fundamental changes they did to it, yeah, I can gripe about it. I can gripe about the Dragon Reborn uh, being male or female and how, you know, they're trying to change up this very gendered magic system, but also still adhering to its binary elements. Like, you can only work so much in that box before you need to start changing things. And if they had, if they had, like, introduced a, you know, non-binary or gender-fluid character that could do multiple weaving, like, I wouldn't have minded. Like, yeah, same, same. Like, it's, it's an adaptation. Some things are going to change, and, like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, ah, purist, I have to only have the things in the books. My faults there are, I do think that they removed a lot of the themes of the book. One of the big th- gripes I have is very first episode, episode one, you get introduced to what's going on. And your introduction is you have a band of reds hunting down a man who has gone insane from Sidonius. And that is your introduction to the show. Is is this big? Is, is this man hating red? You know, as, as they get portrayed, and then eventually you have the episode where they're like, "We don't really hate men; we just, you know, protect the world from them." Um, but you know, she stands over this man who's riddled with his magical insanity and says how awful men are and how mm. their place is to put them out of this world. So your very first introduction to this is very steeped in gender politics that then the show I don't feel like has the momentum, the curiosity, or the desire to explore. I feel like that is where that just immediately stagnates. Compare this to how Eye of the World opens. Eye of the World opens, you have Louis Theron in his castle being like, oh, my lovely wife and children, we're going to have such a great day. And then Ishmael, Ishmael comes up and is like, hey, dude, how you doing? And Louis is like, oh, you're here for the party. And he's like, oh, your mind is so far gone. You just can't even realize what you've done. And then he snaps his fingers and does his dark magic and lets Louis there and see that he's slaughtered his wife and children. In his and let everyone in his castle. And, you know, this is, you know, he his big moment of ah the world i i've i've betrayed everything i am lewis kinslayer now um if they opened with that i would have been much more amazed because like that was such a great prologue yes that that sets the tone for the whole series and that does as we've discussed you know at the very beginning of this whole uh this two-parter we have here that sets this cyclical thing of here you go Here's this mysterious man who was the great, the greatest of his age, brought low. And here is our current day. And oh no, one of these boys is going to be like that. Or maybe it's one of the girls. Like that's, I can't bring myself to hate on the idea of, oh, the dragon reborn could be you know, male or female. Because like fundamentally, sure, something could be, you know, even if the dragon is most of the time male, as we've already discussed previously, 
Mm-hmm. It's been shown the reincarnation cycle can be messed up. It's been shown that the Dark One can just be like, ha, I'm going to play a laugh. Like, yeah, it's very clearly that. And you know what? You know what would have been great? You know what would have been great if the if Amazon had the fucking guts to do it? Make fucking trans mask dragon. Make that be your your change to, to the gender politics of this world is you have a trans mask dragon and Moraine is the one who's clever enough to figure out, ah, we need to be looking, you know, not just in traditional places here. Perhaps something has happened. Perhaps, you know, we are, you know, looking for... Like, uh, uh, that, that is my five-minute pitch to make the Wheel of Time trans is uh, Moraine just sitting in a room going, oh, we have trans sisters in the Aes Sedai. What if the Dragon Reborn is trans? And then, you know, credits roll. But... So, like, I don't care about Amazon that. would never be cool enough to do sadly no anything that, wild. Yeah, that only yeah. exists in my four million word fan fiction on AO3. Yeah, <laughs> so like, like, so like, I think my biggest gripe is the fact that they opened up the show with gender politics and then they like make the Dragon Reborn like can be both because it's like you steep, you, you know, you're you're hunting down men from the get go and then you're like. But it, it could be either one. So then my whole th- I thought process is, then why are they just hunting down men? Yes. If they think they could be the dragon or because they could use magic. If it could be anybody who can like kill, who can be the dragon and end the world. So it's like, and so like, so my biggest gripe with it was, it's like, yeah, like I agree with you on your points, but it's also my biggest gripe has just been, but you set this up and then you like do a 180 and like try to like do include everybody with but you already set it up in a way that's very much dualistic men women and then we're hunting down the men because they could be this antichrist essentially to be fair to defend them a little bit that does come up later when they're discussing that eve possibly being the dragon in that you know the reds are making the point of if if a woman is a dra- is the dragon, then we want her in the light tower. We want her part of our system of doing things, and I, I do think that like even though they emphasize that you know potentially man could be reborn and you know break the world, men are still going insane from using magic. That is still their main purpose is to gentle men before they cause wreak havoc and you know break the world again okay i do I, think I, I get your point there yeah i will say i th- i see where you're coming from because the problem is our only other exposure to male channelers is Logain, and i don't like how they did him i don't like how he is portrayed i don't uh-huh, like for how- sure yeah no i did not like Logain. the only character who i like portrayed like 100% was Tom Marilyn because yeah. he's my favorite character. Yeah. So <laughs> I I will say they really really went hard into they really went hard into like just how much of an asshole Logan is when like that's not how he's portrayed in the books. He's like very happy go lucky. <laughs> like straight up, the first we see him is at the trial 
at the White Tower, where he's like, yeah, I know what you're going to do to me. Fucking just put me out of my misery. And in fact, I don't even think we see him at the trial first. I think we see him in the garden. I'm pretty sure that one one of our no, two of his you, you see him um, when he's t- being taken through Andor when and Rand yeah. sees him from afar, and he's like, "That could be, you know, that that could be yeah. me or any one of us, essentially." And, and I do think like one of the first like proper interactions of him is in the garden, where he's like, "Everything has been taken from me." I will never see life the same way. And like spoiler territory, but eventually Nynaeve learns how to heal gentling and Legane gets his powers restored. And like, it's this big thing. And I, I can't see how that characterization is going to work with how they've made Legane in the, in the show now. Like, exactly. I will say that is an overlighting thing. One of my biggest gripes of the show. Everyone's an asshole. Rand's an asshole. Matt's an asshole. Perrin's an asshole. Nanive's an asshole. Moraine is kind of an asshole. Okay, Moraine's always an asshole, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, insert space balls. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Like, exactly. No, like, uh, but like, yeah, no, it, like. Overall, like, I gave the show a chance. I wanted to like the show. I watched all the episodes. But it was also, like, there was a lot of stuff that they changed. Because I I admit it. I could be a bit of a book purist myself. So, like, if it's not exactly or close to what the book says, I, I probably won't like it. Um, but, like, I wanted to give a chance. Because I understood, you know, this is a modern take for a book that's essentially 32 years old by this point. And, like... I wanted to like see okay what do, what can what changes can they do and I could accept the fact that yes the dragon reborn can be a man or woman because I understand that it's based off of the soul but it was also like my gripe is as I mentioned gen- the gender politics are introduced right at the beginning they completely skip over loose Theron's like whole prologue which sets as you mentioned sets up the whole story and then like kind of like just rush through a lot of stuff when there's a lot of stuff that happens between them going from the two rivers to uh Tyren, and it's like they literally bypass like meeting Elaine. Like they essentially, could have yeah. cut that whole book in half, or even if they had like two more episodes, they could have paced it a lot better. For example, because you have like that whole like character building arc uh, for like t- um, Rand and Matt, where it's like, oh yeah, Matt's slowly descending into like craziness because of the dagger, but like you just see Matt just being sick one day, and then. Uh, Moraine is kind of curing him from like the dagger's evil and just hiding the dagger away. And then you're like, what? Like we saw like no progression for this. Gotta love it. I love television. I love adaptions of fantasy works. I definitely don't think that any time it works well is a miracle and that them being bad is the standard. It's totally not an opinion I hold generally that you should expect every adaption to be absolutely terrible. And that if it's good, it's only by the grace of God that it was good. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyways, like I just to kind of cap it. Cause I understand that like as a cisgendered male, like I might hold some viewpoints that aren't like great. Um, and I just kind of like want to take this as a learning chance to kind of like, 
sit down and just like learn more about what I can do to improve like my viewpoints on the show. Cause as a book purist, this book is also outdated. So it's like, what can make it better for me to kind of work in and understand like what Amazon is doing to make this show more up to date, essentially. You know, one I, thing I loved out of the show that, that was a, you know, quote unquote modern, you know, uh, updating is the fucking greens just being super like, yeah, I have a bunch of dudes and I'm fucking up and they fuck each other. My, my, my husbands are gay for each other and for me. And, and I, <laughs> I didn't mind that because I didn't catch it at all. I was just like, yep, it's just the greens. The greens do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, I just <laughs> love Nadeve sitting there as these green warders are talking and she's just like, uh, do you two like, and just does the little fingers motion. Do you two like <laughs> touch sticks? <laughs> and, and then because we know that's how it works. It's just go like this. Yeah, it's exactly. And like, you know, all women are just cuddle buddies. <laughs> um, I just love that. Yeah, no, but it was just like, I don't know. There, there are some moments in the, in the show that I did honestly enjoy, like seeing like, even though it was just crappy CGI, seeing like the weaves actually being used, like God, especially like later on. The title sequence. Yeah, the title sequence is so great. Because I remember, um, and like, but like, I think my biggest gripe is also, I have a lot of gripes with the show. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of gripes, but like, just to kind of add, like, I really did like that, uh, the white cloak dude. I thought he was a great actor for that. Because like, he kind of like represents that whole like, he is a white cloak. He he gave off that presence of I hate his guts so much. He's the perfect white cloak. And like Nynaeve's character, like her actress did such a great job in making Nynaeve so annoying that it's just like it's great because like Nynaeve is like one of those characters like you hate her until you love her because it's just like she has such a great character development overall in the series. But there's the point where like she's very like set in her ways, very annoying up until like she like learns like essentially to be like more open, which is essentially like in the books, it's around the same time where she starts, where she finally has sex and then she's more open to things essentially. You know, I think <laughs> I just ended on that note. It's perfect. I just want to point out for the record that um, despite being a cis man, all my opinions are perfect at all times. This is my show. I get to say that. Uh, I'm kidding. I uh, don't, I, I, don't hurt. Don't you, hurt me. Would just like to add that I am open to having my opinions changed, and I will have conversations I've, with people. So I've never changed my opinion once. I'm just I'm kidding. So, Catherine and Rise is a great book, then, right? Oh my god! Don't, oh my god! I hate that book. I do too. I, oh god! I hate that book so much. Um, thank you both for being on the show uh, for both episodes. Thank you for you know coming and hanging out with me and filling in for my useless co-host who's off. I don't know, having a life or something. I don't know. I didn't ask. Uh, We, this is going to be a couple weeks after this. uh, Ketho should be back and we're going to have a special episode um, with a guest talking about the history of genre fiction as it is. Like where it's like its roots, where it came from, essentially fiction and fantasy uh, before Tolkien, more or less, like its roots and where it came from. So it's going to be not a story, but actually sort of a 
a dive into like where the genre came from and what it grew out of. So somebody's going to have to do some actual research for that one. Hopefully our guest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all. Uh, thank you both. My guests. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Roberto for joining me. Roberto is the host of the history of Sarkart Velo, Georgia. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Alex is uh, an aspiring librarian baker. A librarian uh, baker, that works, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, links to uh, Roberto's show and some fundraising for uh, Alex's new business venture are going to be in the show notes to both of these episodes to support both of our wonderful guests. Again, the show does have a Patreon. If you're interested in that, $3 a month, you get one to two bonus episodes where we talk about non-book stuff. So if you particularly like the part of the show where we talked about the TV show, uh, you can join the Patreon and you can listen to our first bonus episode where I talk about why Star Wars is a fantasy story and not a sci-fi one. And that's why the new, uh, all the new movies and shows feel empty because it doesn't know what it's trying to be. Bring me um, on for a special episode and I will debate you. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we'll bring Alex on so I can get so I can have my opinions changed. But thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, bye. See ya. Bro. Are you fucking real, man? Come on. Thank you.